Good morning, Cornerstone. Um, today's um, scripture is from First Thessalonians chapter four, verse uh, chapter four, verse thir- thirteen uh, through chapter five, verse eleven. So it's going to span two chapters. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who, do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we, are, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of the God. And the dead in Christ we will rise first. Then, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourself are fully aware that the days of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brother, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one up, build another one up, just as you are doing. This is a word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, George. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Nathan. I am uh, not usually preaching. I'm usually leading worship, doing a bunch of other things around the church. But today, I have the pleasure of being able to speak to us today uh, as we continue our series through First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, if you couldn't tell, the tone of this passage is pretty different from what we've been uh, hearing about in the last few weeks, and uh, I'll get to some of that stuff, but um, I wanted to ask, who remembers Y2K? Like, raise your hand. Okay, so maybe about half of us. If you don't know what Y2K is, uh, it was, you know, the years leading up to the year 2000, uh, you know, 1998, 1999 where people were kind of freaking out because they thought the world was coming to an end. Uh, if you don't know how this works, there was like computers that were, I mean, it's how it is nowadays too, but the world is run on computers. Our electricity grids, gas, uh, power, what else, water, things like that, all run by computers. Our bank accounts, they're just digital computer things, right? So if all of that just cease to work. We would probably be left in the dark ages. And that's what we thought was going to happen when the calendar switched from 1999 to 2000. Because long story short, 
uh, most computers were actually not going to send it to 2000. It was going to send us back to 1900, which would have probably caused a lot of problems. So people, again, thought it was going to be the end of the world. So people got ready for the end of the world. People went out. They like cleared the shelves. Of, it was a little bit like COVID, but people were like clearing grocery shelves of food and drinks. People were filling their bathtubs with water. Uh, what else did they do? They were uh, buying guns. Like I think gun sales went out off the roof, and people went crazy because they just assumed that it was going to be the end of the world. And if you remember, I remember I was in middle school at the time, and I remember sitting in front of the TV. And I was, you know, watching the countdown, waiting for the ball to drop, and it was like, you know, three, two, one, happy new year. And I think everybody was like, like, it, the lights are still on, the TV's still on, everything seems to be okay, nothing happened. And uh, I didn't actually care about the end of the world, I was in middle school at the time. I was like, if everything shut down, I don't have to go to school in two days. That's what I cared about. So I was like, I don't care if the end of the world happens, I just don't want to go to school. Uh, so sadly, I was disappointed because I did have to go to school in two days, but uh, most people thought that Y2K was just kind of a, a hoax. Like, it wasn't really a big deal. What people don't realize is that we actually basically did actually prevent an apocalypse because it probably would have actually been a legitimate problem, but there were companies, the government spent hundreds of billions of dollars retrofitting computer programs and stuff to prevent it. Uh, it's estimated, it's hard to actually estimate because there were so many companies that were investing in this. Somewhere between 200 and 600 billion dollars were spent solely to prevent Y2K from happening. But from our end, we're like, oh, it's kind of probably no big deal. But this happens over and over. Like another instance was, I'm not gonna talk about it, but in 2012 there was another scare, like the Mayan calendar was supposed to turn over and people thought it was gonna be the end of the world. This happens over and over and over. Where the world is obsessed with trying to know when the end of the world is. And I think it's because we are fearful of it. We are fearful of the end of the world and I think most of that fear is rooted in the unknown. We actually oftentimes are scared we have fear when it comes to things that we don't know, we don't understand. For instance, fear of the dark. I'm actually a little afraid of the dark sometimes, but I'm actually, people aren't afraid of dark itself, they're afraid of what's in the dark, because you don't know what's in the dark, lurking in shadows or whatever. We also are fearful of the future. We don't know exactly what's gonna happen in the future, like what's gonna happen with, this, with an exam. What if I fail this exam? What if I don't get into college? What if I get laid off from my job? What if I cannot retire? What if I can't afford to? And what happens, this is a big question, what happens after we die? These are all questions that we have that oftentimes instill fear because we don't know. Now today, we're talking about what I'm calling the last steps, that's our thing for the message. Okay, there we go. Um, so I'm going to talk about three steps that we got to take in order to prepare ourselves for the end of the world. Uh, and these three steps are going to actually, I'm going to actually use three steps. So there's a process and each of these steps builds on each other. So as we think about these three things, uh, we're going to talk about them and how do we actually prepare ourselves for the end of the world. 
um, because it's really important. It's part of Scripture. It's part of our understanding of the Christian experience. So, but before I go on, let me pray for us one more time. Uh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word that you've given us insight into what to expect. And I pray that we be encouraged and even find joy in thinking about your plan for the end times, Lord. And I pray that you allow me to be able to speak your words, Lord, and that I not speak my own. And I pray that you continue to bless our church, that we can be a blessing to you and those around us as well. So we lift this time up to you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, last steps. Just remember that these build on top of each other. So you got to take first, first step, second step, and then the third step. So our first step today is to be knowledgeable. First step is to be knowledgeable. Now I got to talk about this transition because last week when Paul preached uh, in the first part of First Thessalonians chapter 4, we were talking about living in an abrupt transition, and in some ways it is, but if we actually look back at the passage, it actually makes sense for us to talk about it because what's happening is the Thessalonians are concerned about their brothers and sisters, specifically the brothers and sisters that they loved, who followed Christ, but who have died. Um, if you don't know, Thessalonica, oh my gosh, Thessalonica is um, a major city in Greece, so it's part of kind of a pagan tradition, a secular world, so there's a lot of different conflicting ideas when it comes to faith, and one of the things that was kind of floating around in those ancient times of Greece was this idea of immortality. Uh, and if you've ever studied, especially like Greek mythology, there's this idea of immortality, and it's like uh, not dying or not even being able to be killed. And that's in some ways very similar to eternal life that we know and understand in Christendom, but in a different way, it's actually completely different. So understandably, the Thessalonians were confused. They were like, well, if our brothers and sisters who you know, followed Jesus, who were disciples, if they died, do they no longer have eternal life? Like, they were concerned. So that's kind of the background behind why Paul is talking about this, because there was a general concern for those who had died, whether they still had eternal life or not. And it's kind of interesting, because if you read how Paul writes it, he writes it almost as if he assumes that he will continue to live, he'll actually see Jesus return in his lifetime. Uh, he talks about those who live... Um, when Jesus returns versus those who have already passed. Ironically, they're all dead now, so it doesn't even matter about that conversation. But for us today, we can continue to glean from that. Um, so that's kind of the background why there was this kind of seemingly abrupt transition, but it's actually, it makes a lot of sense for us to be talking about this in transitioning. But really, the Thessalon uh, Thessalonians understood Scripture, they understood the gospel. They understood uh, the resurrection. They understood eternal life. And Paul says in uh, verse 13 of 4, he says, but, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who do not have, wait, others do who have no hope. I think that's a really important word here is hope. When we have hope, we have a different perspective in life. When we understand Scripture, when we understand the gospel, 
that gives us hope, especially when it comes to death and the end times. So this hope transgresses both for the living and the dead. And the Thessalonians knew this. They just had some small little technicalities that they needed to figure out. So in many ways, uh, the Thessalonians are actually pretty far ahead of some of us here today because they actually had a very good grasp of the end times and what to expect because they talked about it. Now, when we talk about the end times, when I talk about like the end of the world, usually we don't think about happy things. It's not like a joyful, hopeful thing. But in Scripture, that is actually something that is depicted in the end times. Usually when we hear about end time stuff, we maybe hear it from fire and brimstone preachers who are like, you know, sinners go to hell or repent or you'll burn, those kind of things. And when we hear that, what those preachers use is fear. And when we use fear to influence people, that is, you know, there's in some ways God uses that to advance his kingdom. But most of the time, at least in that kind of way, it's used in an improper way. Because I think in the end times, um, we are called to repent to do good, not to like, you know, just force people and scare people to follow Jesus. But we should actually encourage them to follow good. Um, and also the idea of being judged. Uh, those of us who have studied the end times, we know that Jesus is going to come back and judge the world. Now, that's scary because none of us want to be judged. That's not usually something that we like to happen. You know, when we think about, uh, like, if, I, if George says that he's judged me hard, you know, like, that's not a good feeling. And a lot of times, whenever I think about Jesus judging us, I think about a courtroom. Uh, oftentimes, we think about that, you know, put all the the evidence forth of how, you know, whether I deserve to go to heaven or not. That's the image that I often get myself. But what the reality is, is it's actually more like uh, a judge in the Olympics, maybe, where it's like, oh, how, how have you actually done good? It's a, how do we reward you or whatever? So in verse 9 of chapter 5 in our passage today, it says, for God has destined us, uh, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our champion. When it comes to salvation, it's not how good you and I have been. It's not what we've done that earns our salvation. It's what Christ has done. We are based, our judgment is based off of Jesus. We are justified through him, and he is our champion. In order for us to know all this stuff and actually absorb it, we need to know, again, First step is to be knowledgeable. When we study the end times, it shouldn't cause us fear or discomfort or anxiety, but it should actually encourage us. It should give us information so that we know what to expect and that we can prepare accordingly. And really the biggest, most important thing is to understand the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again to bring us life. We need to know that in order to prepare for the end times. So that's our first thing is to be knowledgeable. Our second step is to be vigilant. Now, being vigilant is really important because time and time again, the end time, when it's going to happen, over and over is depicted as being a time where no one expects it. Uh, our verse, uh, our passage from today, I always use papyrus font because it kind of looks 
appropriate for Scripture. Uh, but sometimes it's hard to read. It's a little small, I know that, um, but just bear with me. I'll read it for us. So today, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 2 to 3, says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Matthew 24, 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, talking about the end times, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Second uh, Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then uh, Revelation 3, 3 says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So again, time and time again, Scripture tells us that we have no idea when the end times will come. In fact, thinking about Y2K, people were all prepared for the end of the world, that all... And in some ways, almost comforts me because I'm like, I know probably it's not going to be a Y2K or 2012 or whenever people predict the end of the world to be because people are ready for it. People are prepared for it. And then that kind of nullifies what Scripture says, or not nullifies what Scripture says, but Scripture nullifies those accusations. So then, uh, I had this idea of like, what if we actually just went around the room and each of us predicted one day for the next year? And it's like, then we buy ourselves a year of before the end of the world. Um, I don't think that would, I don't know if that would work. Maybe we can try, but anyway. Um, but yeah, we don't know when it's going to happen. And uh, so how do we prepare for this? If, how do we prepare for something we have no idea when it's going to happen? My cousin was in the Navy for many, many years, and he taught me this phrase that they use in different military contexts. It's this phrase, hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Now, that kind of sounds like an oxymoron, these like, kind of opposing ideas. Like, how do you hurry up and wait at the same time? But they aren't mutually exclusive, if you think about it, because it tells us that there's an urgency but we need to be prepared because we don't know when the enemy is going to come. We don't know when they're going to attack. So we need to be prepared at all times. And I think the danger, in whether you're talking about military experience or preparing for an exam or doing a project at work or preparing for the end times, one of the biggest dangers is when we get too comfortable. When we are too comfortable a lot of times what happens is we think that we have more time than we really do. And then before you know it, it's too late to prepare. And I think uh, one of the best examples I'm sure almost everybody, if not uh, most, if not everybody in here can relate to, is procrastination. I am a big procrastinator. And, uh, you know, uh, when I started, you know, wanting to date my wife, one of the things that I did was I got an app on my phone to learn Chinese. So I was like, you know, I was learning Chinese and I showed her the app and I was, you know, saying these really, really basic phrases and she thought it was really cute. So she was like, that's how I kind of won her over. 
But then as soon as we started dating, I totally stopped. And, you know, I still have that app on my phone. I see it every day. And every day I say, I should probably study that. And, eh, I'll do it later. I got too comfortable. And then, uh, as some of you know, Katie and I went back to Taiwan um, over the holidays, and I was there, and I was completely useless. I, like, everywhere we went, I was, like, a nervous wreck because I was like, no one talked to me because I can't understand you, and you can't understand me. And anytime somebody talked to me, I'd, like, look at Katie and be like, what, what, what are they saying? What are they saying? And... Uh, there was even one time we were taking a hike and there was uh, these two ladies cleaning up, they were throwing out all this trash and they started talking to me and I was like, uh, uh, I was like really nervous and then it turns out they were speaking Taiwanese and like even Katie and her parents didn't know what they were saying so I was like, I'm even more lost now but, uh, but yeah, I mean that is a prime example of procrastination, you know, I you know, should have been learning my Chinese and preparing to go to Taiwan, but by the time I got there, it was too late. Again, I wasn't hurrying up and waiting. I got too comfortable. So when it comes to our preparation for the end times, what do we have to do? Again, this is building up steps. First, we need to be knowledgeable. We need to understand what Scripture says. We need to understand what the Gospel says and we need to understand the hope and the future that Scripture tells us about Scripture, uh, about the end times. In verse 5 of chapter 5, it says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. What separates us from the world is our knowledge. When we understand the Scriptures, when we understand the Gospel, it allows us to live our life differently. When we understand eternal life and what God has in store for us, we can start to adopt what's called an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. And that's this idea of thinking way beyond your lifetime, even the lifetime of your children and their children, and really human existence. Our life is a blink of an eye compared to eternity. But when we think about our eternal perspective, it changes how we think about our lives. The things that we struggle with day to day, the challenges in our lives, the things that we cling on to have far less value and are not as important as the thing that God values. So, you know, that big exam that you've been stressing about, if you're taking, I don't know, the LSATs or the SATs or something like that, or that big project you have at school or, or work, you know, those things are not that important in the grand scheme of eternity. Things that we cling on to, like our bank accounts, our cars, our houses, uh, our degrees, our positions of power, those things diminish when we think about things in an internal perspective. And that allows us, in turn, to actually prioritize things that God values. Community, prayer, having a relationship with God. Those are the things that we need to do in order to be vigilant. And one of the most important things is that we need to be knowledgeable, grow in our knowledge, and be vigilant together. Which brings us to our last step, which is we need to be encouraging. We need to be encouraging. 
There's only two commands in this entire passage between uh, the second part of verse, uh, chapter 4 and the first half of chapter 5. And they're the same exact thing twice. It is to encourage. In verse 18 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And uh, verse, five in chapter, uh, verse 11 in chapter 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are doing. This, I don't do this very often because I don't have an opportunity, but the Greek word is uh, parakalete, which is specifically in the Greek a command. The way that Greek is designed is uh, different verbs are actually written differently. The word itself is differently, uh, written different. So when we see this word, it is a direct command from Paul. And through this whole thing, these are the, these are the two things that he commands us to do. Really, one thing is encourage one another. Now, I think this manifests itself in two different ways when it comes to being encouraging. The first, well, two different ways for two different people, but both about building knowledge and vigilance. So the first is when it comes to our interaction of how we can be encouraging to other believers. Again, that first step is to be knowledgeable. When we normalize talking about death, when we normalize talking about the end times, it takes away from misunderstandings and the fear of the unknown. If fear is rooted in unknown, then encouragement is rooted in knowing. And there's so many misunderstandings about what the end times are going to be like, but Scripture is actually pretty good about <laughs> explaining what happens. It's just that we're so afraid of talking about it that we don't know. Uh, and we don't know so we're not so it causes us to be fearful. It's kind of like this cyclical thing. So the first thing when it comes to encouraging other believers is that we need to normalize talking about death and the end times. The second part is it reinforcing this idea of having an eternal perspective. Having an eternal perspective in the midst of our day-to-day life allows us to have an understanding of the perspective of how important is um, I don't know, this job interview. In the grand scheme, it's not that important. Of course, it is still important to like, you know, get a job and do well in school and all those things. But in the grand scheme, we need to trust that God has a plan for us and allows us to be able to build an understanding of how we can actually prioritize godly things over worldly things. So that's for believers, how we can encourage one another, be in community, talk about these things, and have an eternal perspective together. Second is for non-believers. How do we as believers encourage non-believers? Well, going back to our last steps, you got to start with step one. Step one, allowing people to begin to understand what the gospel has to say. You don't know what you don't know. In order to allow somebody who is a non-believer to start preparing for the end times, you need to educate them and allow them to understand what Scripture says about those end times. And that's really the biggest thing that we are indebted, uh, that we are commanded to do through Christ, is to make disciples, share the gospel, tell people about the good news. This is kind of a side thing, but a lot of times the church is so caught up on that second step, being prepared, behaving like a Christian, that we forget that step one comes before step two. We expect people who aren't following Christ to live the Christian lifestyle, and we 
forget that we actually are told to share the gospel first. We can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. We need to have Christians behave like Christians. So how do we do this? How do we be knowledgeable? How do we be vigilant? And how do we be encouraging? And I've talked about a bunch of stuff already, but to give us a few, a little bit more tangible ideas of how to actually do this, the first thing we need to do is, uh, when it comes to being knowledgeable, is to know Scripture. Uh, I work with college students a lot. I actually work with basically the entire age range. I've worked with, I worked with kids. I work with youth group kids, uh, I work with college kids, and uh, you know every variation of adult that you can think of. And I feel like more and more people are becoming biblically illiterate. People aren't reading their Bibles, and people don't really know the Scripture that well. And if that's you, that's okay. Uh, everybody starts somewhere. So I think it's really important for us individually and as a community, as a church, to really push ourselves to understand Scripture. That is how we actually come to understand both the gospel and the end times, but it gives us hope. It gives us perspective in life. When we root ourselves in Scripture, when we root ourselves in the Word of God, that gives us knowledge to be able to tackle anything in our lives. So that is how we be knowledgeable, is that we need to know Scripture. Next thing, when it comes to being vigilant, we need to adopt godly priorities. And we can only do this if we have the knowledge from step one and we have an eternal perspective allowing us to prioritize things in our life accordingly. Coming to church, reading your Bible, spending time in prayer. You know, especially this past week, we uh, had a prayer focus in you know, our church as a whole, in life groups, in different contexts, we were praying. But why does that have to be a one-week thing? Why can't that be an everyday thing for the rest of your life? A lot of times we prioritize worldly things over godly things. But when we have an eternal perspective, we invest in things that last for an eternity. So again, we need to know Scripture, adopt godly priorities. And the last thing when it comes to being encouraging is that we need to do these things together. We need to study Scripture together. We need to be in godly community where we can have godly priorities and have eternal perspective and grow that community. This is a big thing when I, thought, when I think about church growth. A lot of church growth comes from the expense of another church. Most of the churches, when they are growing, they're like, oh, there's so many more people come to our church now. It's usually because another church is not doing well and a lot of people are leaving. Very little growth happens that is part of the universal church, where the universal church is actually growing. The only way that we can do that is we need to share the gospel with those around us and make disciples in God's name. When we grow in our knowledge together, both for believers and for those who are non-believers, we grow in our Christian life in a community that is Christ-centered. And that is how we prepare together for the end times. And that is really the most important thing for us to do. In the grand scheme of things, your school, your work, even your family, those things will perish in some way or form. But God is eternal. And our relationship with him, the relationship we have with one another, those are things that we can invest in for the future, the eternal future. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word again, that we can think about 
just the hardships that we face and how they compare to eternity. And I pray that you allow us to grow in our knowledge of Scripture, that we can be vigilantly pursuing you in our everyday lives, Lord, that we can have an eternal perspective, and that we can be an encouragement to one another in community, that we can grow closer to each other as we grow closer to you. And I pray that we, as Cornerstone, as followers of you, can understand that more, that we can be a blessing to you and to be a blessing to those around us, that we can prepare for the end times, not out of fear, not out of trembling, Lord, but out of encouraging joy, looking forward to a time that is better than what we have right now, better than anything that we've ever experienced, a life without pain, without suffering, all of that, Lord, in your presence, that we can be unified with you and you alone, Lord. I pray that we strive for that, that we hurry up and wait, that we be vigilantly pursuing you every day, looking forward to the day where you return. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.